Good morning. It is so good to see each one of you here on this beautiful day. It's good to worship God together, and God is here among us. That is no small thing. He said, where two or three are gathered, I am there among you. He's here with us. That is really special. Well, let's gather around his word together. Open up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 15 is where we are today. Matthew 15. As you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you see Jesus getting more and more kind of intense as he goes along. And as you'll see this morning, he's... uh, He's pretty intense in this chapter, so let's, let's listen to what he has to say to us. Matthew 15, 1 through 14. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our traditional ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way you say they don't in, in this way you say they don't need to honor their parents and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition you hypocrites Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you for he wrote these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Sisters and brothers, this is God's word for us today. God, thank you for your word that challenges us and helps us to see what real life is. Would you open our eyes and help us to see you today? In Jesus' name, amen. Have you heard that story about a patient who was nervous about having surgery? And she says to the doctor, you know, doc, looking for a little comfort. Uh, This is my first surgery. That's funny, says the doctor. This is my first surgery too. (laughs) The blind leading the blind. It's not a comforting situation, isn't it? Vision is important and in fact, 
Not having vision when you need it can be dangerous. And you've all seen those videos of, of kids blindfolded trying to hit a pinata and they hit other kids and the mom and dad and the pet and some of them wander away and have to be chased after swinging that stick. I've, uh, I've worn glasses since I was in first grade and I have, I'm really nearsighted. Uh, I have one of those prescriptions that when I go to the eye doctor, they say, oh, we're going to have to order your contacts. We don't have those in stock. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they never have mine in stock. I have this recurring nightmare that I can't find my glasses. And there's some sort of emergency, and everything is blurry, and I got to do something, you know, make my way through a house or something, and I cannot find my glasses, that panic of not being able to see. My, my grandpa, uh, who lived to be 104, when he had cataract surgery in his 80s, mentioned casually to one of the other family members, now I can see the lines in the middle of the road again when I drive. <laughs> Vision is important and it can be dangerous not to see correctly <laughs> or to see well. When we think of people who have achieved great things despite enormous obstacles, surely one of the most amazing stories of the last 150 years is Helen Keller. Though she was born able to see, and here she had a disease when she was about 19 months old that left her deaf and blind. She, as a child, she could barely communicate her needs to her family members until a woman named Ann Sullivan came and came to live with her and taught her to sign and taught her to understand and communicate with the whole world around her. And she really blossomed. And amazingly, when you think about the obstacles that she faced being unable to see or to hear, she became uh, a popular author and speaker and got a bachelor's degree. That's uh, why they, they called Annie Sullivan the miracle worker in that movie they made about this in 1962. No doubt she deserved that title, miracle worker. And though Helen Keller remained physically blind, Ann Sullivan taught her new ways of seeing, so much so that she learned much more than many people who have the physical gift of sight, but she needed a guide to teach her to see this way. Our passage in Matthew today uh, talks about seeing and blindness and guides and Jesus tells us that we all need a guide because, in a sense, we're all spiritually blind. And he warns us that not all guides are reliable. In fact, he says if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves following a blind guide and falling into a ditch. We've been looking at these wonderful photos this summer from Michael Belk. This is our last one. He calls it Watch Your Step. You can see on the, uh, the left side there, holding the little boy's hand, is what looks like a Pharisee, how we at least imagine that they were dressed. And in the middle, a Protestant 
minister in his preaching robe, and it looks like maybe a Catholic priest on the right, all blindfolded and looking at the big book and trying to navigate those stairs. Look at the look on Jesus' face. I don't think he likes what's going on here, do you? In this passage that we read today, Jesus is very harsh and direct with these blind guides. He says to the Pharisees, who were sort of the the religious leaders and the rule enforcers of the day, they come to him and say, hey, your disciples aren't obeying this tradition that we have of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. In Jesus' culture, the whole idea about being clean and unclean and uh, what, what defiles a person was not about hygiene. They had no concept of bacteria as a reason to wash your hands before you eat. It's hard for us to even imagine that because that's so second nature to us that you need to wash your hands before you eat. But for them, it wasn't about hygiene. Being clean or pure was all about being connected to God being close to God and being defiled or being unclean meant that you were separated from God. And they had this tradition of hand washing before they ate as as a way to express outwardly this inward idea of reverence and respect for the creator of the universe and uh, the one who provided for the food that was about to be eaten. So when the Pharisees come and they publicly challenge Jesus, why aren't your disciples obeying this tradition of the elders and not washing their hands? They're really saying, you and your disciples can't be holy men because you're not behaving in, in holy ways. And as usual, Jesus doesn't give a direct answer to their challenge. He answers their question with another question. If you read the Gospels, you see that often Jesus does this. He answers a question with another question. And his questions are always hard-hitting, right to the heart. He says, uh, well, how about you? And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? And he gives this example of how Uh, In the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your father and your mother. But apparently the the Pharisees had developed this this way of people being able to say, well, all this money that I would have used to support my parents, I'm going to give to the temple eventually. I can use it now, but it's set aside. So sorry, mom and dad, I can't help you out. The Pharisees are going to get all this money for their work in the temple. And Jesus challenges them on this and tells them that really what, what makes you clean or unclean is not all these rituals, but what's in your heart, what comes out of your mouth, that comes from your heart. He says, you're just like the ones that, that Isaiah prophesied about. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. You know, the Pharisees were extremely careful about keeping the laws of Moses. They wanted to be sure that God's people didn't stray away and break those commands. But Jesus thought 
They would be better people if they kept the love of God for all people in their hearts. They were so focused on the rules that they had forgotten about the relationship. And I love halfway through this how the disciples like pull Jesus aside and say, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you said? (laughs) I would love to have seen the look on Jesus' face when they asked him that. Yeah, I think he realized he offended the Pharisees. Jesus goes on and says, they are blind guides, leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they'll both fall into a ditch. Watch your step, he's saying. Watch your step. Have you ever heard about the phenomenon called the ant death spiral? I just read about this recently. There's this particular species of army ants who is utterly blind, and the only way they can move around is to sniff the the trail of their fellow ant in front of them. They follow each other by smell. And this article says that The system works smoothly when everyone's going in a straight line in one direction, but when the lead ant starts to loop, bad things can happen. If the ant in front loops and intersects with its old trail, the whole crowd then turns in on itself and everyone gets caught in an endless circle. The scientist who first observed this behavior, Theodore Schnirla, that's a difficult name to pronounce, was quick to point out that the ants get stuck in ways we humans never do. Isn't that interesting? I'm not so sure. He's right on that one. Watch your step, Jesus says. Jesus is saying here, there really is a difference between truth and falsehood. And we really do have a responsibility to discern the truth. It's possible to be led astray. And he wants us to know how to discern what is true. What does he mean you might fall into a ditch? Let's think about that for a minute. What are our ditches? What does it look like when our lives fall into a ditch? Well, you probably all have been there, have people you love who have been there. Relationships fall apart. Addictions take hold. There's that emptiness that comes from chasing what you think will fill you up, but it never really does, and that emptiness just gnaws and gnaws and gnaws away at you. There's that self-deception that can happen about your eternal destiny. Do you remember that? That, that uh, incident in, in the Gospels where people come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, we've been out there serving you. We've been doing all these good things in your name. And he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. We can be deceived about where we really are in our eternal destinies. That's falling into a ditch. That's the kind of thing Jesus is warning us about here. And he's saying, It's serious. It's serious. Well, there's this ditch that the Pharisees seem to have fallen into, this ditch of of legalism, this ditch of just follow the rules 
and, and you'll be okay. If you imagine like, like this is the, the, the little ridge, the pathway that Jesus says that the pathway to salvation is narrow, the road is narrow and there's this big ditch on this side. The Pharisees have fallen into this ditch we all probably are familiar with this ditch. It's the one that says, follow the rules and the routines of religious life, and, and it'll be, it'll, it'll, that, that's what following Jesus is all about. Like, all the shoulds of being a good church person. What are, what are the things you should do? You're allowed to talk in this part of the sermon, okay? Like, tell me some shoulds. What are the things you hear all the time you should be doing as a follower of Jesus or as a, as a Christian? Pray. Pray. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Go, to Go to church. Be an usher. Be an usher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do laundry. <laughs> what else? Do good. Love your neighbor. Tithe. Think I heard that one? Yeah. We have a whole long list of shoulds, don't we? That we talk about doing all the time as ways to help us grow in our faith. There's an end, there's a meaning to those, but we can get so caught up in the process that we believe that that's what it's really all about. We're drawn, particularly some of us, to a religion that can be fit neatly onto a to-do list. The, a religion that says, do these things and you will please God. Now, you may think, okay, but that's kind of silly. That's kind of obvious. We all know it's more, we're not doing these things to earn our salvation, right? But there's something in human nature that just wants, just give me the list and I'll do it. And I won't have to deal with the matters of the heart. And I can't tell you how many times over the years I have seen good church people get, want, get, get led away into that ditch of legalism. Sometimes it's a cult that sort of takes over your life with all these rules and regulations and ways to live. Sometimes it's other religions to give you a nice, clear way to work for your salvation. That's kind of the whole appeal of the, the Wiccan or the New Age approach, that, that we can do these little routines that will control the spiritual forces and make them do things that we want them to do. Anyone who tells you that there is a formula for following Jesus, there is a formula for salvation, is a blind guide. Watch your step. Watch your step. Anyone who tells you these are the certain things, if you just do this, that's all you need to do. That, that is a blind guide. I think sometimes that ditch, we know legalism, yeah, following the rules, yeah, that, that's not going to save me, but we, we still fall into that ditch by saying to ourselves, well, you know, I think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person, right? How many times do you hear people say that? Maybe you've said that yourself. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. What that really comes down to is saying, I can earn my salvation. I think I'm doing enough good things. That's that same ditch with different dressing on the top. The Bible says there is no one who is righteous. Not one. 
that we all just need to depend on God's mercy and God's grace. It's all about relationship with Jesus, and that comes through grace. So there's this ditch on this side, and maybe, maybe as you look at this ditch of legalism and following the rules and just keeping the outward things, you think, nope, that's not my ditch. But you know, there's always a ditch on the other side, isn't there? <laughs> there's always a ditch on the other side, and I think maybe this is the ditch that more of us fall into. We're not so attracted to the, the legalism and the rule following as the, I don't need any of those rules. I'm beyond all that. I don't need to keep the routines of, of the life of the body of Christ. I can worship God on the golf course or in my backyard. I don't need that kind of outward routine. I don't need to read my Bible. I just, I, you know, that's too much of a, a, a works righteousness thing for me. I just, I kind of just absorb a good thought every day. We tend to sometimes throw out the baby with the bathwater and think that we, uh, we don't need to keep those rules because we're beyond those things. I don't need a day of rest. God will just keep supplying. I don't want to be legalistic about giving, so I'm not going to worry about giving 10% of my income. I'll just end up giving about 1% instead. I can't tell you how many people I've had say to me, you know, those, those rules in the Bible about sexuality, you know, about not being in a sexual relationship with someone you're not married to, I feel like we're beyond all those things, and God understands. We tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater and end up in this ditch. Randy Alcorn has written a, a book called About Grace and Truth, the grace and truth paradox, it's called. He says, grace and truth find their perfect union in Christ. But the rest of us tend to gravitate toward one or the other. We tend to, to gravitate too much into the grace ditch and, or too much into the truth ditch instead of finding that narrow path. He says that truth without grace breeds self-righteousness and legalism. And grace without truth breeds deception and moral compromise. Those are those two ditches. And he points out that the key to true Christian life is to integrate these two qualities into a life and imitate the character of Christ. The Bible describes Jesus as full of grace and truth. He shows us what that life looks, looks like. It's, it's never about the process, this following Jesus thing. It's never about the process. It, it's always about the relationship, the relationship with Jesus. So how do we watch our step? Jesus is saying here, watch our step. Can we put the picture of Jesus back up there and those blind guides I just want us to kind of absorb that picture as we go here. How do we keep from falling into these ditches? Well, the word of God, the word of God is our main way of doing that. To be in God's word all the time, to absorb what it says, it shapes us, it molds us, it keeps us aware of the ditches and helps us not to fall into them. 
I always encourage you to be in the Word every day, but be in the Word together too. It's almost September. We're going to have a whole bunch of new small groups starting up again, Sunday school classes. That's a great way to dig into God's Word together. So watching our step happens when we, we get to know the Word of God and let it be part of us. It also happens in community. We never can really learn grace and truth all by ourselves. It takes each other. It takes the body of Christ to learn that. So being involved in the body of Christ, building deep relationships with each other, and most of all, nurturing that relationship with Jesus. As you think about these two ditches, following the rules and saying, yep, I'm good, or throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, yeah, God understands. I don't have to worry about all that. Which, which ditch are you more likely to fall into? Which ditch is challenging you right now? What is the Holy Spirit whispering to your heart right now? What, what could be different if you listen to the Holy Spirit and, and how is he leading you to watch your step, even starting today, this week? You know, if there was anyone who was <clears throat> tempted to fall into this ditch on this side, it was the Apostle Paul. He writes about it in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, by that he means like in the outward things of being a good religious person. If anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in this ditch, he's saying, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. He had this game down. He had it perfect. But you know what he says about it? But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he says this, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. That's, that's what this is all about. And that's what Jesus is urging us and warning us about today. Don't ever let the ditches lead you away from getting to know Christ and sharing in his sufferings and sharing in his eternal 
life. The heart of the matter is this. It's a matter of the heart. Following Jesus is a matter of the heart. It's never about a formula. It's never about obeying the rules. It's never about doing things right and you're all set. It's always about a relationship. Watch your step, Jesus says. Don't let the process become more important than the relationship. The Apostle Paul finishes that little section of Philippians with these words. Not that I've already obtained all this. He's still working on it, just like the rest of us. Or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. That, that, friends, is a good goal for our lives as well. Pressing on to know Christ. In another place, he says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He helps us to see. I want to know Christ. I hope you do too. Let's pray together. Lord, would you... Open our eyes. Help us to see what we cannot see through our own power. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see where we may be falling off the path, where we may be straying into a ditch, maybe where we're leading others astray as well. Lord, would you give us the grace today to set all those other things aside and put you first in our hearts. In Jesus' name.